Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome back, everyone, to Mothers of Misfits. We are always, always so glad that you are here to join us every week. I so appreciate you. And today we're going to talk about a topic that I'm not sure we've covered before, and that is the topic of anger. And helping us understand that today is Marty Wallner. He is a healthy anger coach, and over the last 17 years, he has helped hundreds of people understand, manage, and heal from their trauma and stress. Marty, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you, Emily. So grateful to have this conversation and inspired by being here with you today. Oh, thanks. Well, it goes both ways. And I want to start out with your title because I find it really interesting that you call yourself a healthy anger coach. And I'd love for you to explain for us the difference between healthy and unhealthy anger. Well, anger is a natural emotion like all other emotions. And for some people, their history and experience with anger is mostly in a negative way. And the expression of anger and how people show their anger many times comes out in less than healthy ways, ways that perhaps for the person getting angry makes them feel bad, regretful, some sort of feeling later on and they're thinking back and also may cause a lot of disconnection in relationships. And so our beliefs and for, for certain people, their understanding and thinking patterns and emotional responses when in that angry space can perhaps head towards negative expression. But as it turns out, as it's an inevitable emotion, it can be expressed in different ways. And for most people, it's a choice of how they express their anger. The challenges are there's a lot going on in the brain and body when we get angry. And so sometimes our thinking patterns are are, uh, impacted by that. And so are making choices and in the heat of the moment and the heat of the angry moment, especially with children and family situations, things can kind of spark up quickly. But the principle and takeaway is it is ultimately a choice. And there is a space that we can empower people, empower ourselves with tools to be able to make better choices and be able to express our anger in healthier ways. So the anger itself is not bad or wrong. It's how we choose to express it that can be healthy or unhealthy. Yes, it it is rather inevitable. We're going to feel a certain Mm -hmm. something. We're going to get into situations that are going to press our buttons and get under our skin. And sometimes even, again, inside the brain and body, activate our stress response system. I mean, sometimes things are happening that we're not in the subconscious and in our bodies that we're not even thinking about at the moment. But that understanding and that awareness, again, can empower people to do some things and develop some tools to be able to advocate for themselves to have a better emotional and healthier emotional response and hopefully make better choices as to how to express their anger. So let's talk about that physical response. Because there is something about anger as opposed to joy or happiness that causes us to lose control very easily. It can feel so all-consuming and overwhelming in ourselves, in our kids, that unlike other emotions, it does lead us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise if we were calm or had more happy, positive emotions. So talk us through what's actually happening in our body that causes us to just 
again, sort of lose it, if you will. So we generally feel it in our bodies first. And so many times our heart will start beating faster or maybe start to perspire, get some muscle tension, even nausea or butterflies in our stomach. Something's happening with our body sensations when we feel any intense emotion, but certainly with anger. And so really attuning to ourselves and our bodies and understanding, because the sooner we can catch it and connect to it and understand it, the sooner we can start doing things for ourselves. But the other thing, Emily, is there's a lot going on in our brain. And so what you describe and the different types of emotions are impacting the chemistry, the, the chemical release, the neurochemicals that are being released in our brain. And so when we experience things like joy and happiness, the neurochemicals perhaps are more like dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin. And that's going to help us comfort us and make us feel and, and really like a warm blanket our bodies are going to react to those chemicals that are being released in our brain. Unfortunately, when we're feeling angry or other intense negative emotions, the neurochemicals are more like cortisol and adrenaline and epinephrine. And, and what's happening is brains and bodies are programmed for survival. And so when we get into that state where our brain states are dropping to the survival, that fight or flight part of our brain and the chemistry the, the chemicals that are being released at that time are again preparing our body for survival that can present itself in different ways, especially through parenting or other relationships. The way we present ourselves when we're in that survival state can actually then exacerbate the emotion and can kind of whip everybody into a bit of an angry or dysfunctional or even dysregulated kind of sensation. On that note, what does anger have to do with trauma and stress? So trauma and stress lives in our central nervous system. And so it lives in our body. So when we feel intense emotions in the current time, our bodies react. Our experiences are actually stored in our brains and our bodies. Our bodies remember everything. And so if we've been through traumatic experience or deal with a lot of extreme stress or even the, the stress we've all dealt with over the past 18 to 20 months with COVID and the pandemic, I mean, that was layers of stress and trauma on top of a lot of other stressors that were out there. But it's all impacting and connecting and perhaps even triggering for some people that have previous traumatic experience what's being stored in the body. So when we feel that anger or any other intense emotion, it's connecting what's already stored in each of our individual bodies. And depending upon for what individual, what they've experienced and their social support, what kind of relationships they have around them, that will determine how current stress and then that in the moment emotional dysregulation, how our brains and bodies react can be all about the memories and what's happened to us previously in previous experience. That's so interesting that this is a, not only an in the moment issue, but a longstanding development issue and social issue. You said something that was fascinating to me. That is healthy anger looks different for different aged kids. Can you talk us through that? Well, yes. And just backing up in general, a lot of parent responses change as kids grow and develop. And so, you know, as parents, we think we got it down for something. We feel confident, empowered, and then our kids grow and they change and they go through a different stage and a different age. And Again, it can be looked different for different families in terms of support and how many caretakers are involved. But certainly then when we get to anger and how parents express their anger, understand their own anger, and then 
hopefully understand what's happening in their children as they grow and develop in their own brains and bodies and how they're processing emotional situations. That can be very different, for instance, for toddlers and then for early young age school children, and they move into middle school and then teenagers. And anger response and interaction between parents and kids can change as children grow and develop. And that can be, again, there's a hopeful message there, but also challenging to realize like other parenting tools, we constantly have to be open to new information and understanding and awareness because many times, again, when we think we got this, our children just grow and develop and they develop new needs and they become new people. And again, their brains and bodies are developing, which makes their needs and then our parenting responses change. And anger just goes along and anger expression and interaction goes along with a lot of the other parenting changes that are required as well. Parenting is most definitely a very humbling experience because as soon as you think I've got this, you know, stuff changes on you and you realize, oh, I I don't know that I've got this. (laughs) I need to keep working at this. So give us some examples of what does a healthy anger response look like in a toddler versus a healthy anger response in a high schooler, for example? So Again, the difference there, um, just to start out in a simple fashion, is the the development of the brain. And so for a a toddler, for a two-year-old, three-year-old, or a four-year-old, the brain develops from the bottom up. So they're in the bottom, the survival part, the sensory part of their brain, and maybe some emotions, not a lot of thinking. Certainly they can develop walking and talking and using utensils, and there's parts of the cortex and the thinking part of the brain that are developing, but most for toddlers and, and young kids, they're in the lower parts. That's where that brain's developing. So they don't have the ability yet to actually emotionally regulate. And so you'll see tantrums, temper tantrums are a perfect outward behavior of a dysregulated toddler where the emotion has overcome that toddler's ability to figure out what's going on. So all they have, the only option they have is to go on the floor and melt down. And so for parents to understand that, I've worked with a lot of, uh, here in Pennsylvania, I'm certified with the uh, PATs, the PQOTS program, and deal with the Head Start program across the state just to empower preschool teachers and also parents of preschoolers to understand where their children are in the brain development. And so when they have these, what can be very explosive, startling, and surprising emotional responses, whether it's at home or out at the grocery store, in the car, on a car ride, and in, in some really challenging situations, but to understand what's happening for that two-year-old or three-year-old or four-year-old. But then the brain starts to develop, and hopefully we start to help them. We co-regulate and help develop regulation tools and help a, a child understand their brain and body and what situations they may get in that they're more emotionally activated by, and children need to go through some levels of stress to build up resilience. And so parents, we can help them understand that, that we don't always want to, you know, I think they describe it as the helicopter parent who's always getting in there and, and trying to have their avoid their children dealing with stressful situations. Well, at some point, those stressful situations help a child learn and help them regulate and get them prepared for even bigger stressful situations. And so, again, we'll go through, you mentioned the teenagers, so now we're going through, the brain's developing, and we're seeing a, a child have different needs as they get through elementary school and then into middle school, and all of a sudden, behavior changes, and my 12-year-old was one way, and now they're 13, and the behaviors are changing, and they're 
just going upstairs after dinner and slamming their door and they don't say goodnight anymore. And, and that can certainly make us feel a certain something. And then the teenage brain just expands. There's a new explosion when they become teenagers. And there's a lot of risk-taking and a lot of back talk and independence, trying to flex muscles and freedom. And that can look a different way emotionally, depending upon families and setups and support. So all of those ages and stages of development of kids can press our emotional buttons and really make us feel a certain something. And then also, Emily, you brought up trauma. It can also remind us of when we were that age as kids. And so as our children go through different ages and stages, it can connect with our own memories and how we dealt with some of their struggles and some of their challenges and stressful situations, and perhaps the anger that was showed to us at the time and how our adult caretakers were expressing their anger. So it's very complex, and again, it does change, but the hopeful piece is with new awareness, self-awareness is the first step to healing and to being able to change to healthier anger. Because once we make that belief switch, parents can then become more emotionally intelligent in terms of connecting with who their children are and then modeling for their children how to handle their anger and emotional dysregulation in much more healthy ways. That is a perfect segue into my next question for you because I want to look at first parents and then kiddos and I want to get into the nitty gritties, the practical strategies and tips that we can employ in our homes to deal with anger in the moment. So let's start with us as parents because, man, we've all been there where we were so frustrated and we got to the end of our rope and we yelled or, you know, we did things that we regretted after the fact, like, I just hated that reaction that I had. I lost a little bit of control in that moment. So talk us through as the parent, how do we first keep ourselves from getting there But in those instances where it happens, and again, we shout or we lose our cool, how should we be dealing with it after the fact to be those good models in our household of, oh man, sometimes we mess up, but here's how I'm going to respond. Well, certainly, yeah, moving into that conversation, that's an important piece in terms of starting with the parents first and and their Mm self-awareness, Emily. Really, we try to lock a parent into understanding we actually have anger logs. So my first suggestion is to really take a situation where a parent has gotten into an angry situation and perhaps wanted to have handled that much differently. They feel bad later. They feel disconnected with their child. So now let's kind of put it into a bit of a Petri dish and let's look at it somewhat. And that may take some time, may take a couple of days later. You know, the emotion needs to dissipate. And we want to try to look at this as neutrally and objectively as possible. But I've worked with a lot of parents, and the first place we started to take an angry situation and to really slow things down and what was happening and what was the environment and how was I feeling and what was I thinking at the time and what did I do when my anger went from zero to 60 quickly because something that was said or something that happened, and to really slow that down and then be able to find tools to be able to disrupt the process. And so what we find is with this anger log, There's similarities in terms of how parents, when they get into that heat of that angry moment, there's a similarity to their thinking patterns, their emotional response, their behaviors, their immediate behaviors. And when they start to see that, when you actually see it on paper and you put in a lot, things start to make sense in a different way. If you're looking at it neutrally 
and objectively. I mean, we try not to let, we don't want to relive the angry situations and go back there as we're trying to, you know, analyze it. So it does take a bit of a timing. People have to be in the right mindset to be able to look at something objectively. But the empowering piece is that once we understand our own individual anger process with each child and two children in the same family may be completely different. As you know, as parenting, we need different parenting tool belts sometimes for different children. We also need different healthy anger tool belts for different children as well. But to really lock into what that process looks like and really find space to disrupt it and to change it. And so it's it very individualized. So for some people, it's that initial thinking pattern. They can really magnify and catastrophize what's happening in front of them. And to really try to change that initial, you know, when we look at the anger log, when we really see for that particular individual, just as an example, if we really see the thinking pattern, that initial thought process, and that may be because of memories that are stored in that individual's brain about how others were angry with them as a child or even as an adult. So they have certain things that are stored in individual in their brain about anger, beliefs about anger and thinking patterns. Once we start to see that in the log, we can then try to bring tools in to change some of that thinking. And a lot of times it's a process. We measure it on a zero to 10 kind of an anger thermometer in terms of if it's a nine and we yell, we screamed, or perhaps there was some physical aggression or some sort of discipline and perhaps avoid doing that again. We don't necessarily bring it down to a two. We could bring it down to an eight, maybe an 8.5. You know, it's a process of bringing down the temperature of emotional response. And it really starts with what we call an anger log to be able to look at that process. A mentor of mine, Dan Sullivan, has said that all progress starts by telling the truth. And I think that log is such a great way for us to tell the truth about the factors, conditions, patterns of what gets us in a situation where we're more likely to be unhealthy, angry, and that truth is power and it empowers us to be more self-aware and self-regulated. And that's such a simple action. And as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, dinner time in our household tends to be a tense time because there's still lots of complaints about what's being made and how long it takes for people to eat and sitting in your seat or not. And I'm realizing that the fact that that's a consistent frustration, that my mindset, even my body comes into dinner more negatively or more sort of geared up and ready for a potential something. And even that anticipation of a possible negative event might actually create a self-fulfilling prophecy of a negative event. So this is very interesting. Whereas if I could maybe do some deep breathing or visualize a very healthy dinner activity or a meal together uh, and just think very positive thoughts. I'm sure I'm even probably projecting in that scenario, positive things, whereas previous negative things that again are actually playing into the pattern. And I have responsibility in that just as much as my kids do. So that's so clarifying. I'm already having these ahas, but let's switch now to our kids. And you're so right. I mean, I even see in my kids, a difference of that triggering and also the recovery. Kids are different, as we all know. So how do we help our kids avoid the ramp up and also 
manage their anger in that moment or maybe deal with it after the fact if they have lost control? So again, what you just shared is very powerful. I hear you changing your anger right here in the moment and, and really disrupting your process. I heard a mental anger log and you're really slowing mm-hmm. things down and I just am grateful and I appreciate that. But to your point of moving on, a couple of principles. So it's very difficult according to research brain research and trauma research, it's very difficult, almost impossible for an upset parent to calm down an upset child. And so a lot of times parents will get into or buttons will be pushed and will be in an angry situation and will react so quickly, not realizing that perhaps we're exacerbating the stress and emotions are contagious. And so if we get into as a parent into a situation, we're feeling a certain something and feeling dysregulated very low chance that we're going to be able to have a positive outcome and then help our children regulate. And so if ultimately, to your point, if we're trying to model for our children healthy anger and emotional regulation and what we do, and inevitably we're all going to get into situations where we're going to be frustrated and disappointed and angry, and we're modeling for our children how to handle that. And it's the ultimate teaching experience. And from my view, I'm a bit jaded, but emotional regulation and response to me to help people develop tools at early age and especially as children i've helped breathe with three-year-olds and we co-regulate and we breathe together but at any rate i'll get onto that in just a moment but really to have the parent have tools in themselves in the moment you mentioned breathing and mantras positive self-talk those initial thought patterns that may plunge with those dropping brain states and all that cortisol is being released in the brain we can actually have some quick mantras that we can recall and recite mentally she's only eight years old or he's just trying to push my buttons or we'll get through this. There's only 15 minutes before we have to leave. Whatever the situation or might be very individualized for your child, anything that can bring your thoughts to a neutral or maybe somewhat hopeful or positive place can change a lot of what's going on in the heat of the moment. But parents and all adults can really be very much more effective if they first regulate first if they have their own tools and sometimes emily it's a parent time out i have to walk away Mm -hmm. from a Mm -hmm. situation there's all sorts of things and you know we can go through some other specifics but each person's different and they have to really develop when they get a parent gets into the heat of the moment to really understand themselves and then what works for them you know if i'm going to suggest breathing but they're not going to think about breathing they're thinking about yelling they're thinking about projecting energy Well, then that parent needs something else. And that's the second principle I wanted to share is that behavior is need driven. And so when we behave a certain way or our children behave a certain way, to be able to look past the behavior and to figure out what's going on underneath there and what do I need at this moment and what does my child need at this moment? Now, that's a lot to think about when we're feeling a certain something in an emotional moment. But if we can regulate ourselves and get ourselves to a somewhat calmer, clear thinking place somewhat, it may not go 180 degrees, but a somewhat clear thinking, we can start to think about what we may need and what our child may need, especially in a situation like a temper tantrum or a child who's saying, I hate you to their parents or a really extreme kind of emotional situation. It's tough. It can be challenging, but we try to encourage parents to look past that behavior and figure out what's the need and even for themselves as well. But then again, for children to help them and develop regulation tools is really what we try to aim for so that when they get into a frustrating situation, that they have ways to be able to handle that. We start, Emily, with feeling in the body. 
so I can ask a two-year-old, three-year-old, I, I see you're angry. Oh my gosh, this is frustrating. Where do you feel it? I, I, I feel like I feel it here in my stomach. Where do you feel it right now? And so even up to teenage years, we can lock into body sensations. And then what can we actually do about what's going on in our bodies at that moment? So I've had young kids that we march in place when I feel mad or anger. I like to do wall push-ups. We go against the wall and we push up. I have one young child just like to page through a book. And she just doesn't read. She just likes to hold something about the texture of a book. So we sit down and we act like we're reading a book and, and that somehow is regulating. So really to start to find ways to have kids be attuned to who they are and how their bodies are changing and then find different ways. Oprah Winfrey actually as part of one of her specials did a breathing, a co-regulation and a breathing with two and three year olds. And it's a very powerful clip and it really shows the benefit of parents being intentional about first helping children co-regulate and then helping them develop when they get to situations where parents may not be around, whether it's school or a social situation, what can they do on their own behalf at that moment when they get into that somewhat frustrated or emotional feeling? I find it to be so powerful in the calm moments to talk with your kids, kind of that mental log of what happened. As you said, how did you feel? How did you act? How do you feel about how you acted? How might you do something differently? And then talking about hypotheticals, you know, if someone upsets you at school, what can you do? Who can you talk to? Where can you go? And playing it out so that they have that game plan. As you said, when we get angry, we're not thinking very logically. But if we have this natural fallback or this habit, because habits don't take mental energy, they're more that muscle memory like you talked about, it's in and of itself, habits can feel soothing. And I know for my older son, it's go up to his room and turn on an audiobook, And that's what brings him down. And it doesn't even matter what the content of the book is, just like that little girl. It's just that habit, that activity that is a trigger in a positive way to calm down. My goodness, Marty, we could talk on and on and on. There's so much fascinating concepts that you're sharing and really helpful strategies that all of us can implement. So I know you have a lot of practical tools and free resources that you can share. If listeners are really interested in getting a hold of you, how can they do that? Well, you can join me at healthyangertoolbox.com. There's actually a free parenting anger ebook that they can download there as well and a lot of other tools. But again, it's all about empowering parents to understand their anger and then make that switch to healthier anger expression and hopefully be more assertive rather than aggressive or passive aggressive. Awesome. And for everyone listening, if you have not yet signed up to receive our episode insiders, go to mothersofmisfits.com and be sure to do that because in those emails, we give you extra insider information about our guests like Marty. And then any of those special resources and extras and offers, we pack it in there too. So you'd never want to miss out on those fantastic resources. And so many of our guests are generous in offering that to our listeners. Marty, I really appreciate you coming on again. Clearly, this is such an area of expertise for you. And one of the biggest takeaways I have from this entire conversation is that emotions are contagious. So thanks again. Oh, so grateful, Emily. Thank you and best of luck to you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. 
Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.